Thanks for joining us on Stand Strong in the Word podcast with author, speaker, and worldview expert, Jason Jimenez. Stand Strong in the Word podcast is devoted to walking listeners through the Bible in a fresh and powerful way. We pray your spirit is nourished as you gain new perspectives and a renewed appreciation for God's Word. Now, here's Jason Jimenez. Welcome back to Stand Strong in the Word. So glad to be with you guys on this podcast today. Man, it's just so exciting to hear some of the feedback that I'm getting from some of you guys about how you're learning uh, through the Gospels. And hey, I'm learning with you. So this is exciting. This is so important. You know, our purpose of Stand Strong in the Word is clearly to what? To stand strong in God's Word. And in order for us to stand strong, we need to know God's Word. We need to love God's Word. You know, as, as I was preparing for this podcast, I was reminded of Psalm 119, verse 16. And I pray this over you guys, and I pray this over myself and my family, and many of, and many of my loved ones and friends and supporters of the ministry. And that is Psalm 119, verse 16 says, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Isn't that amazing, friends, that we can study the Word of God, and as David prayed, I pray we will pray that here on Stand Strong in the Word podcast, that we will not forget God's Word. So as you let God's Word speak to you, I pray that you will grow in your faith and that you would also continue to develop um, your spiritual gifts because it's important for us as Christians, my friends, to grow in God's Word and to teach others God's Word. So I count this as a privilege. I always look forward to my time to sit down, to pray, to study, to look through a chronological order of the Gospels and put these things together for you to continue to help you in your journey uh, as you and I are living in this world. And God has called us at this time to be a witness to His people, no matter where we go and work and school or around the world, or many of you are preparing to maybe transition uh, into full-time ministry. Whatever the case may be, know that God is with you and desires to use you. And in order for us to be used by the Lord, we need to know His Word. So, I'm excited today to be jumping into John chapter 4 now. It's pretty much a smooth transition. If you've been listening to our previous podcast in John chapter 3, we go from Nicodemus, remember, and then this encountership that the disciples of John the Baptist had with him regarding Jesus and his disciples are beginning to baptize, and they were kind of jealous about it. They were trying to validate or trying to understand what was happening between the transition between their prophet, their rabbi, if you will, their teacher, and then now with Jesus. And so now we get into John chapter 4, and this encounter with the Samaritan woman, this took place, again, early in Jesus' Judean ministry, approximately anywhere from AD 27, or if you look at about AD 29, Now, the question, though, I want to answer is, why this record? Who cares about this encountership? Because we're going to read John 4, 1 through 42. This is a huge story. It's a big chunk. It's more, the details that we have here is more than what we have even with Nicodemus. And remember, as I mentioned uh, in that podcast uh, a few podcasts ago, Nicodemus' story, and of course, the John 3, 16 passage is one of the most famous, one of the most popular and yet this encountership with the Samaritan woman uh, is very lengthy. It covers a huge portion in the book of John. And I, and I believe really why 
the importance of this passage and why the length of it, why it's 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 a pretty extended um, story than than most of the other stories that we have in the totality of the four gospels is because it shows that Jesus cares for everyone, that he not only cared for the Samaritan woman, but as we're going to study today, that it shows the love that Jesus had and still has for all people. Okay, so let's jump right into John chapter four, beginning in verse one. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, as John puts as a little commentary there, he begins beginning, uh, continues to write, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, you give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water? Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said to Him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I speak to you, am He. Or excuse me, I who speak to you, am He. Just then, His disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this indeed is the Savior of the world. Wow. Now, before we jump into these uh, passages, I want to go back real quickly and again, if you haven't learned, uh, listened to the previous podcast about Nicodemus, or that was a few, I think, podcasts ago, please check that out because there's a contrast. And I believe that, again, as we're going through the order, but this was a top priority of John. And it really gives us great insight because remember, when you look at Nicodemus's meeting with Jesus, he came to him at night. And then a few weeks later, approximately, maybe a little bit less than that. This Samaritan woman, right, has this encountership with Jesus in the afternoon. Now, remember, Nicodemus pursued Jesus, this religious man, this man that was a part of the Sanhedrin. So this was a brilliant, magnificent, smart, and wealthy rabbi who goes to see Jesus, but he's intimidated and a bit nervous. And so that's why he goes to see him after sundown. Right, so he's probably didn't want to, you know, encounter Jesus during the day and have more people see this type of interaction and call Nicodemus maybe his motives into question. But Nicodemus was searching nonetheless, and, and this well-educated and respected leader wanted to have this conversation with Jesus. Now, in this case, with a Samaritan woman, uh, she was indifferent. She was an outcast. She lived a sinful life. She was not looking for Jesus. Her people were sent to a different region and they were despised by the Jewish people. So they had no interaction with Jews, particularly a person like Jesus of his stature, who was a rabbi, who had followers. Um, and and so this this encountership with a Samaritan woman is, a, is, is a, to me, is beautiful. And I hope it is to you because it gives you this insight, again, that Jesus encounters Nicodemus, completely opposite from the Samaritan woman, but he falls in love with Jesus and he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. And then now you have a completely and totally opposite, you know, case now with Jesus with a Samaritan woman and you see her come to Jesus. So John three and John four give you a taste of the kind of people Jesus interacted with and he loved. So that is just, again, amazing. I love when you kind of see that contextually and you put it into perspective and it just blows your mind. So now let's look at this. Encountership. So the first thing we see here, I want to draw your attention to in verse one that we're told by John the Baptist as he kind of offers this commentary is that Jesus was making more disciples. Now, remember I told you in John 3, 26, the disciples of John the Baptist came to him stating that, you know, there were more people coming to Jesus to be baptized. Now, of course, John played a huge role to transition the people to follow Jesus. That was part of his responsibility as the prophet. Now, notice again here in verse 3 that Jesus and them depart again to Galilee. Now, in verse 22 of chapter 3, we are told that Jesus went into the Judean countryside, and there his disciples were baptizing. Now, I want to make 
mention that the disciples that were mentioned that we're mentioning here are not the twelve. There are many people who just assume from the get-go when Jesus started his public ministry after he was baptized and went to the wilderness, and then after the wilderness he came, um, that he had his twelve. That's not the case. Again, this is only a few of them of the disciples, four or five of them. Now, Jesus knew the religious leaders. This is important also. We're already out to get him. So from the get-go of Jesus' ministry, as he was tempted by Satan, and he already starts his public ministry, he doesn't have his 12 disciples yet. John the Baptist is arrested now, so Jesus knew that his time was short. So from the get-go, he already has people who are hostile towards him. They're trying to end his ministry. And isn't that true for all of us? That when you start something that God has called you to do, you, for the most part, are going to receive opposition, aren't you? And we see this clearly with Jesus. Now, notice it says here in verse 4 that he had to pass through Samaria. I love that phrase, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, this was indeed the shortest route to Galilee. Now, here's the interesting thing. This is what most Jews did. They would go through Berea. This was completely out of their way. But they did so so that they would not go through Samaria because they didn't want to interact with the despised people. These are the Samaritan people. These are the people that the Jews hated. They referred to them as less than dogs. Okay. But I love in verse four that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, let me give you a little insight into who the Samaritan people are. Now, as I mentioned, they're considered half Jews and Gentiles. These Samaritans came all the way back from the, the Assyrian captivity if you remember the 10 northern tribes in 722 BC, when when they were ransacked and the, the Syrians came in there and held the, the Jewish people in the captivity, you can look back in 2 Kings chapter 17. Now, with the invasion came other tribes in their synchristic religions, okay? The Jews rejected the Samaritans for not having a pure lineage. And so what the Samaritans decided to do is they established their own worship at Mount Gerizim. And what they also did to kind of fit their style of worship now because of the rejection of the Jews, they altered the Pentateuch. Okay, so that gives you perspective of the Samaritans, but it also gives you insight then into this, into the mind, if you will, of the Samaritan woman who encounters Jesus at the well. So let's jump to verses five and six. And I want to, I want to uh, just Put, put this in perspective here. I want you to think in your mind, the savior of Zakar, okay, has this encountership with the sinner of Zakar. Now in verse five, Zakar, this was Shechem and or Shechem, depending on how you pronounce it, was a city that was known in the Old Testament, okay? And now we know it as Sakar here in John 4, verse 5. This was about 35, Sakar was about 35 or 40 miles from Jerusalem. It is now known as Napolis. Now, Abram, before you known, he was known as Abraham, came to this place of Shechem first when he arrived into Canaan from Babylonia in Genesis 12, verse 6. So this is a very historical city. And now notice they both come to Jacob's well. Now, Jacob's well, if you remember back in the Old Testament, this is what he built. This was a deep well or fountain that was more than 100 feet deep. And we're told that this was around the sixth hour. So this is literally literally around noon time. This is a time during the day where the flocks would rest. And we're told here now in verses 7 through 9, this woman from Samaria came to draw water at Jacob's well. Now, this was an unusual hour for a woman to come draw water. 
And I believe it's because she was avoiding her people. This woman, as we know, was living a sinful life. So rather than her be around the women in the early morning time to draw the water, to get things ready in their homes, to help their husbands with the flocks when they're resting here at the sixth hour, instead, she's drawing water. So of course, she doesn't have the responsibility because she's not married. But I also believe because again, she was not wanting to interact with the people. And so she's, again, she's an outcast and she comes at an awkward hour. Now notice Jesus responds to her in verse seven by asking her, literally telling her to give him a drink, not in a demanding way, but he, he takes the initiative because remember Jewish men do not go there for one. And the other thing was the Jewish men didn't speak to women, especially Samaritan woman. So Jesus responds by saying, give me a drink. Now, no doubt Jesus was tired and it was very hot from his journey. We're told earlier in the passage, remember that his disciples had left to go get food, but he knew the reason why Jesus was there because he knew that the Samaritan woman would be at the well. Now, again, what's also extraordinary about this, the insight that Jesus had as a son of God, was he also knew that she'd be at this hour. Because you can say, well, you know, let's go to the to the well in the early of the morning when the women are there to, you know, have some conversation with them. But instead, he goes at an awkward hour. Nobody was there just knowing that the woman would be there, I think is extraordinary. So this was a customary gesture that he extended to her, not just a conversation, but it was a way for Jesus to start getting into the conversation, which would eventually lead to her salvation because through the literal physical water, he was going to show her not just symbolically, but that he himself is the living water. So that's a pretty cool uh, tactic that Jesus is using to engage this woman right away. He starts a conversation because she knew as she was probably approaching, could you imagine the intimidation? She's usually probably uh, you know, used to going to the well and nobody being there at this awkward hour, this weird hour, right? This unusual hour. And yet how she's coming this day, she sees not just a man there, who doesn't have a water jar, so I'm wondering why he's there, but a Jewish man who's there. And I believe the dress, again, even Jesus' poor, doesn't have much. I could, She could probably tell that that uh, he obviously was not part of her, her, her town, Zakar, but probably would say that he's a Jewish leader, rabbi-type person. So can you imagine the just the intimidation she probably was under? And then, of course, then he responds and speaks to her by saying, give me a drink. Now, notice in verse 9, it says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? So right away, she responds by saying, first off, why are you even talking? Why are you even here? This is not right. Now, Barclay, in his commentary, listen to what he says. He says, the strict rabbis forbade a rabbi to greet a woman in public, okay? So a rabbi might not even speak to his own wife or daughter or sister in public. There were even Pharisees who were called, quote, the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Why? Because they would literally shut their eyes, Barclay says. And when they saw a woman on the street, they would walk uh, past them with their eyes shut and hit, and walk into walls or even houses. That That's how ridiculous it got for these these rabbis. To, they thought they were so holy, these Pharisees, that they wouldn't even look upon a woman. So this woman, the Samaritan woman, understands this, okay? And understands that they're despised. And yet this Jewish man, who again, as I, as I stated, that I believe she also... 
probably refers to him uh, and recognizes to some extent that he's probably not just a Jewish man, but a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi. Now, in rabbinic law, I want to make um, note of this. It was also taught that Samaritan women were always, they were forever unclean. And therefore, to talk with them, to associate with them, to even look upon them, and even to drink from a Samaritan's vessel would make you unclean. So, when Jesus, who comes to the well and doesn't have a water jar, and asks this Samaritan woman to draw a drink from him, he's saying, let me drink from your vessel. Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, is speaking to a Samaritan woman, was completely and totally out of line, according to tradition. So he was breaking all of that tradition. But again, Jesus is not bound by the tradition. He came to fulfill the law. So now look at verses 10 through 15. She's now pursuing this conversation a bit more and asked the question in verse 12, as Jesus is about to explain to her, he's the living water. She asked the question, this is a, this is a good question. Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Now, remember to the Jews, Abraham is the, Abraham is the greatest. Yet to the Samaritans, Jacob is the greatest. So what she does now, she's noting, she, again, she notices that Jesus is different. She knew this probably as she was walking up to the well. But now she's comparing Jesus or challenging this Jewish man. Are you, are you saying that you're greater than our father, Jacob? You know, to like what extent, you know, are you coming to us? Uh, and, and, and what authority, what power are you coming by? Do you, are you in agreement with Jacob? Are you greater than Jacob? Notice what Jesus says in verse 14. He says, water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So this conversation went from drawing a drink, understanding that a Jew and a Samaritan don't associate, particularly a man and a woman, to are you greater than Jacob now, to Jesus saying what I give is eternal life. Jacob gave a physical well here that we're still utilizing or people are still utilizing. But I give you something even what Jacob couldn't give. Now, Jesus' reference here in verse 14 is also applicable to Isaiah 12, verse 3, and Ezekiel 36, 25, and 27. And now in Isaiah, it says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So notice when Jesus says that I will give him a spring of water that wells up for eternal life. This is the joy of salvation that Isaiah is talking about and Ezekiel 36 talk about. Charles Spurgeon writes in his book, Good News for Thirsty Souls, he writes, quote, what does a thirsty man do to get rid of his thirst? He drinks. Perhaps there's no better representation of faith in all the word of God than that. To drink is to receive, to take in the refreshing draught, and that is all. A man's face may be unwashed, but yet he can drink. He may be a very unworthy character, but yet a draught of water will remove his thirst. Drinking is such a remarkably easy thing. It is even more simple than eating. So Jesus was coming to this woman, not with regulations, not with tradition, not with the law, but came to her with a simple gesture to say, if you drink from me, you can have this joy of salvation. Now, notice in verse 15, her response was, give me this water so that I don't have to come here and draw water. Now, the woman certainly was having a hard time grasping what Jesus was saying to her. 
her focus was on the material aspect, right? She was living a materialistic, physical life. So she overlooked the spiritual. And of course, in their context, remember, they, her people had altered the Pentateuch. So they were believing that their location, their worship, their recognition of Jacob made them spiritual. And so they were A-OK. But notice what Jesus does here. In verses 16 through 19, he exposes her sin. In verse 18, he says, for you have had five husbands. Remember when he said, go get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. And then he says, you say rightly because you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. So now to notice what Jesus does here. He shows her that he knows everything about her. Not just that she would be there at that time and that she could draw him water and that it was very unusual and was breaking tradition for him to even speak with her and even them to have that altercation together. But even more so now is he's pointing to her sin and her need for living water. She's in essence, not just ignoring it or not fully understanding and grasping it, but I believe at this point is more or less rejecting it. So the, cause notice what the woman says in response to Jesus and understanding that she knows much of his life, she says, now I perceive you to be a prophet. So remember, she asked the question, are you greater than Jacob? So now she's getting, I, I believe, the answer. And then notice she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. In verses 19 to 20, she says, she says that. Now, here's the point. She's recognizing that Jesus, again, is more than just a mere man. Maybe he's a prophet at the level of Jacob, perhaps. But notice what she does, though. She gets religious, and she starts offering this ancient dispute between the Jews and the Samaritan people. She's she's almost correcting Jesus and kind of putting him in his place. And I think it's her way of deflecting the conversation about her sin. So she goes religious and says, look, this is what we say. I don't care what you have to say. But notice what Jesus uh, does with her in verses 20 through 26. He says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither of this mountain. She says, you know what? At the end of the day, it's not about where a play, where a person worships, whether it's in here at Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. He says in verse 22, you worship what you do not know. And he says, as Jews, we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. So for her to understand but also to fully grasp and to believe by receiving to become this true worshiper. Jesus needed to have this countership with her. He needed to teach her who God truly is. And he says here in verse 24 that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, notice in verse 25, the woman then responds to Jesus and says, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Isn't that interesting? And then notice he says, the person who's speaking to you right now is the Christ. I am the Messiah. So in verse 22, when Jesus responding her, responding to this woman by saying that salvation is from the Jews, again, he's not saying that the Jews are better. If you go back to Romans 9, verses 4 through 5, Paul reminded the Romans there, he says, they are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. God chose the Jewish people from the beginning by calling Abram before they even became the Hebrews, remember? And Jacob became the first uh, literal Hebrew person, Israel, right? 
And to them, Paul says here in verse 5, belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So the Jewish people eventually would would beget, if you will, the Messiah, who Jesus here is a full Jew. So he's saying that God chose the Jewish people to advance his glory, the covenants, and this salvation that would come through Jesus Christ. So the Samaritan woman, again, she had half-truths. She knew a little bit about worship. She knew about the connection with Jacob and about the coming of the Messiah. But Jesus here points out to her what she didn't know. And to to become a true worshiper, she needed to know the Son of God. She knew that he would come someday, and she's and he's letting her know that I am he. I think that's interesting too, by the way, as a side note. Here she was anticipating the Christ, and it was the Christ who came anticipating to meet her. That's a beautiful picture. Because see, true worship is not through rituals. It's not based on a particular place or space. It's about being transformed in the presence of God's holiness. And so in verse 24, ultimately, it's not about Jacob. It's not about his well. It's not about Mount Gerizim. It's not about the temple in Jerusalem. It's about worshiping God in spirit and truth because in verse 24, we're told that God is spirit. See what God, or excuse me, what Jesus, who is God, is saying here is that God is not made up of parts. He doesn't change. He isn't infinitely per- He isn't this finite being. He is infinitely perfect in his eternal being. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is worthy of all praise. So Jesus takes the focus off of religion and he places it on the nature of who God is. For this woman to understand he needed to get her away from the rituals and from what she was taught because there was a lot of altering that went on and show her who God truly is. And she saw God in the flesh right in front of her. And so when Jesus says, I who speak to you am he, he tells a woman that he is the Messiah. Once again, the Jewish leaders, they felt it better to burn the law than to deliver it to women. Isn't that sad? And yet here, Jesus is loving this woman not condemning her, something that probably no Jew had ever done for this woman, especially a religious leader, by showing her the law and teaching her. And yet Jesus is saying, I who am you I am he who you have been looking for. This is a beautiful encountership, my friends. And this this Samaritan woman, she doesn't just say, okay, well, hey, thanks for the time. I got to get going now. No, she the the Bible says here that she runs off. She leaves her water jar and she goes into the town to say to tell her people, come in verse 29, come see a man who told me all that I've ever did. And now they're saying, could this be the Christ? Isn't this cool that here the Jewish people have rejected the Samaritans and yet even in this city, they're anticipating the Christ and the Christ and Jesus Christ who knows this goes to encounter them. So the symbolism of the woman leaving her water jar, I believe, points to the fact that she came to believe in Jesus as the Savior of the world. Remember, at the start, all she cared about was the actual well and finding a more convenient way to draw from it. But after her encountership with Jesus, she leaves her water jar behind because she finally found the true and living water and couldn't help but go and tell her people. Now, notice the impact that this woman had on her town. She went from a reject to an evangelist. See, religion can't do that, my friends. Religion can't manufacture this kind of love and passion to be this type of witness that this woman was for her people. 
Only Jesus can do this. Now, let's jump to verse 42, because notice it says in the end that the, the, the people, as they came out to encounter Jesus, and they wanted him to stay with them, and notice it says that he didn't just co- go through right this, this, this region. Instead of going through Berea, he goes through Zakar. He stays with them for two days, and they finally say, it's no longer because of what the woman said that we believe. He's, because the people said to, to, to the woman in front of Jesus, we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So now remember, as, as, as the fame of Jesus was already spreading and the Jewish leaders are already rejecting and finding ways to try to get rid of him and they arrest John the Baptist and imprison him, here we see the despised people, the Samaritan people, the half-Jew people who altered the Pentateuch are believing in Jesus. The people came out upon hearing and seeing a mighty change in the sinful woman. This is a testimony. How on earth can the sinful woman change? And she's coming and engaging us. Remember, she was a reject, avoiding people, and now she's engaging people. They heard this Jesus and they believed for themselves because of this encountership that happened with this woman at the well. This is a powerful testimony. When Christ transforms your life, you can't help but shout it out, right? You can't help but tell people, and I love this. Now, notice as this was happening, the disciples finally come back, and they bring food, and they're telling Jesus, hey, you're tired, you need to eat. And Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me in verse 34. And he starts talking about the harvest and being laborers of that. Jesus taught the woman about living water. And now with his disciples, he's teaching them that his food is to do the will of the Father. Now, what just happened with the woman and what was about to happen with with this town is what brings true nourishment to Jesus. This encountership, teaching this woman about who he is, about true worship, that God is spirit, that's his food. And to see not just the change, but the transformation that take place within the city is the harvest that Jesus is telling his disciples about. In Psalm 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. That's what Jesus was telling the disciples. And he's also showing them that this type of fruit is going to come because in our next podcast we're going to be talking about, you're going to be seeing Jesus go to more and more of the disciples to make them fisher of men, to say, you need to go out of your way like I did with this woman, and through the testimony of this woman, she shares with the town, and the town come out and they hear me, and then I'm with them, and I'm investing in them, and I'm nourishing them, and they're responding, and they're becoming um, followers of me. And the disciples are seeing this firsthand. You remember, if you go back real quickly as I conclude, the disciples are probably stunned that Jesus was engaging one to even be remotely in this in these parts and this is how jesus started his ministry this is what he did to recruit other disciples this is not the norm but of course we know that jesus is not the norm this is amazing jesus delighted to do his father's will so my friends as i conclude as we just see this encountership that jesus had with a samaritan woman that she was a reject But because of Christ, because of his love, because he went out of his way to encounter this woman, she became an amazing evangelist. Who would have thought? But see, Jesus knows. So I pray that you just be careful not to overlook, not to look past certain people that God has placed in your life. 
you know, we encounter a lot of people who are different than us. Me, listen, as I'm even studying this and looking through this, I, I was just going through the number of difficult people that I've had in my life that I even currently, as I'm recording this right now, that I have in my life, they're difficult. In the ministry, uh, God puts in front of you difficult people. And and it's a challenge sometimes for me. And I oftentimes fail. So please pray for me. But you know what? I, I want to admit this as well and state that I strive to love the people that God puts in my life. And I've seen God work in my life. And I'm grateful for that. Uh, the Holy Spirit has given me more discernment and wisdom and love and patience for, for people. And so sometimes even though they do things that I don't like, that are annoying or that I, I sometimes get impatient and just have some difficulty, I just see this growing love for them, this patience that God gives me. And I pray that that you will pray for that as well as I've been praying for that, that we would encounter Samaritan people, if you will, that we would go out of our way to make an effort to engage people that we, if it, we left our own devices, we wouldn't, right? And that's the power of God. God wants to use you, my friend. And lastly, let me just ask you this question. What are you doing to sow and reap into God's heavenly kingdom? Think about that. Not just right now as you're listening that to this podcast, but as you go, I pray that you will be convicted to say, Lord, I need to plant more seeds to advance your kingdom. May that be a blessing, my friends, and I'll see you on the next podcast. For more information on Jason Jimenez and Stand Strong Ministries, visit us at standstrongministries.org. Thank you for listening and keep standing strong in the Word of God.